Hello, and welcome to Skeptics and Seekers. I am your host, Brian, with a Y. David has made the dubious choice of giving me hosting duties again this week, so I'm happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. And I think we've got a really great show for you this week. I'm really looking forward to it, and I want to introduce my primary opponent in this conversation today, and her name is Teddy. Teddy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Good. I'm really looking forward to this, Teddy. We've been planning this for a while, and uh, real life gets in the way sometimes, but I'm really happy that we're together today. Me too. I've been chomping at the bit. Excellent. So the show is going to be about Pascal's Wager. And Teddy and I are going to get into it on this topic uh, from a skeptic and seeker perspective. But that's not all that's happening this week. We also have the pleasure of having on the panel our usual skeptics and seekers host, David Johnson. David, welcome to the show. Hola. I'm uh, just here pushing buttons, figuratively and literally. Yeah, David's primarily got technical duties this week, but I'm sure he... um, will have a hard time keeping himself quiet, so we'll be certain to hear from David as the show goes on. And in addition, we have another special guest that I'd like to give some time to introduce himself. He's on the show this week. His name is Robert White. Robert, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on. I'm really glad to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know you better. I um, have met you for the first time now, I think, approximately 11 and a half minutes ago, so this should be a great show. About half that time, I was having audio issues as well. <laughs> you sound much better now. I'm really looking forward <laughs> to hearing your, your dulcet tones on the podcast, Robert. So, um, Robert, why don't you, Robert, take a few minutes. Um, introduce yourself. Tell us what you're about, where you're coming from, and what kind of things you have going on. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a software engineer in Brooklyn. Um, I uh, Just the very brief bio, I grew up a Christian and always took it very seriously, but I've always been scientifically minded, philosophically minded. And so I slowly went through um, a deeper, deeper doubt. And eventually, probably, I think it's fair to say I completely kind of deconstructed my faith over the years, and then slowly put it back together. Um, And so uh, what I really dive on is not just the intersection of skepticism and belief, I do really jive on that. Um, And I also um, really am sympathetic to the doubters. But I also just like um, philosophy in general, and uh, especially epistemology. And so my website is robertlwhite.net. And I also have a podcast by that name as as well, Robert L. White. And um, so far, it's a fairly new podcast, but I do kind of a deep dive into some epistemological um, ideas, and I invite some atheist friends on, that sort of thing. So that's what I'm all about. That's great. That sounds like it's a good fit for uh, for what we're all about here at Skeptics and Seekers. So all you listeners out there, definitely go check out Robert's podcast, check out his website. Uh, and uh, let's look forward to many more interactions with him in the future. Hey, and if I can interject, uh, Robert and I are going to be podcasting later today, a show that will air uh, next week. Uh, so in case I forget to mention what's coming up next week, next week, <laughs> Robert White. Uh, and uh, we will be talking about some strange epistemology. Um, according to you according to you according to me <laughs> uh and uh, i'll be i'll be arguing uh the uh the single issue deal breaker 
uh, position, basically, uh, and Robert will be arguing uh, why I'm wrong. Um, it's going to be fun. Uh, so, uh, that said, one other thing. I uh, introduced uh, Robert on the board uh, this week as the nasty little surprise uh, that I was springing. <laughs> Uh, on our uh, usual guests. And so they literally did not know Robert was coming on until just before the podcast to stir the pot. He will agree with neither uh, the Christian nor the atheist. Who knows what he's going to say? Who knows? <laughs> it's a nasty little surprise. Uh, the problem is, uh, Robert, you see, we have this habit of giving people nicknames. And it's oh going to happen whether I give it to you like or whether the mob. The, yeah, yes. People, <laughs> especially Teddy, gives people nicknames and they tend to stick. And so I've got a feeling it is now Robert the Nasty Surprise. <laughs> oh boy. That has major potential. I love that nickname. <laughs> what oh about boy. just Robert the Nasty? <laughs> No, I'm just saying if I if I call you TNS, you know we we know. Okay, we know I'll know who you're talking, talking about. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. So uh, yeah, so this is this is great, and uh, I'm glad to hear that that Robert's perspective will be different than probably both mine and Teddy's. So one of my biggest pet peeves in argumentation is false dichotomies. So I'm happy to take a triumvirate look at Pascal's wager this I'm week. So, this I'm sorry. Be great. Before, before we get into the serious stuff, um, I, one other problem with nicknames i just wanted to bring it up because this is the moment yeah i object strongly to teddy's uh use of the name kabuki kid when referring to you i think brian that uh you have more gravitas than that you deserve more respect than that i think that is a disrespectful dismissive <laughs> nickname i will not have it i am amending that to mr kabuki <laughs> okay, I, I, well, it, you know, it's kind of like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The Mister just—I mean, Kabuki Kid's a little bit more of a rough and tumble kind of Mr. Kabuki. You know, why, it's done. why? Why add the Mister? That adds like because he deserves respect. He's a grown-ass <laughs> man. Yeah, but you know, Mister, you know, is like a gentleman. But you know. He's rough and tumble, right? Street fight. <laughs> Teddy, you are probably one of the few people that I would allow to get away with leaving out the mister. But, you know, for the purposes of our official business here, I'm going to have to ask you to use it for this week. Uh, wow. Uh, well, I don't know. We have to rumble about that, too. So I don't know. I'm sorry. And what is Teddy's nickname? I, I feel like I missed this. The Bear. Oh, well, okay. That makes <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, the podcast is off the rails already. I feel like I'm to blame. I don't know why. <laughs> Mr. Kabuki, back to you. Yeah, this is no, this is a, this is a good thing. <laughs> I think this is a good preamble. I, I'm really looking forward to where this is headed. So, um, uh, David, I had sent you a blog. I presume it's going to end up on the website eventually. It is uh, right alongside uh, Teddy's. Oh, wait a minute. Um. I haven't done one, at least not yet. Oh, yeah, that's right. A little This a does little not speak well for lately. the strength of that argument. But anyway, yes, they, they will appear on the blog at some point. <laughs> Excellent. No, that's that's good. I just I didn't want to refer to it if, uh, if it wasn't going to be there. So uh, all of you out there, uh, my introduction will largely draw from the blog that you'll see on skeptics and seekers. 
www.squarespace.com. So we invite you to head over there and participate, comment. There's a lively message board. Teddy the Bear will be all over us on that on that website if she gets there eventually. Teddy, have you found the URL yet? Uh, I have not. I just I haven't even been even remotely on the boards in several weeks just with everything that was going on with my uncle. Right, so, right. Uh, but Skeptics and Seekers, you said where again? Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. David moved the blog, I don't think, to keep it out of your hands. I think he did <laughs> yeah. for other reasons. He, he did tell me that it was moved. I just hadn't had a chance to look yet. Excellent. No, we're looking forward to having you over there, Teddy. That'll be great. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and Teddy, I, you know, when I do my hosting, I hosted with Dave, uh, David a few weeks ago, and um, he, uh, you know, he gave me the mic, but he obviously took the mic for quite a bit of the talking. So I don't want you to think that you are an undercard here. You and I have equal weight on this conversation. So please don't don't be shy. You speak up as much as you you need to, and interrupt me if I need it. Bears don't wait for invitations. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. This is why we moved the blog and didn't tell her about it. <laughs> and Joe then told me about it, right? Exactly. Oh my. Anyway, all right, let's get down to the topic. I wanna I wanna get into some some meat and potatoes here. So Pascal's wager. Uh like I said, check out the blog. Uh I'm just gonna kind of pull some quick points from what I wrote there, uh just to get the conversation started. Uh from Wikipedia, Pascal's wager is an argument in philosophy presented by the 17th century French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal. He basically posits that the humans bet with their lives that God either exists or not. And he says that the rational choice is to bet that God exists because the person will only have a finite loss if they're, if they're wrong, earthly pleasures, etc., and they have the infinite to gain in heaven and the infinite loss of being in hell to avoid. So that's basically Pascal's wager in a nutshell. Um, as a skeptic, I don't find this particular argument very convincing for a number of reasons, and I think we'll get into all of them uh, as we go through the show. But I also think that if I were a Christian, I think I would object to using Pascal's wager as a conversion tool. I wouldn't agree that it would put God in a good light, or it would be something that I would find effective or would generate the results that I want. So throughout the show, that's kind of the two uh, angles I want to take in talking about Pascal's wager. And as I understand it, uh, Teddy, you have a little different take on Pascal's wager. Now, don't let the cat too far out of the bag, but I want to make sure that we're discussing uh, the parts that we both agree on and disagree on. So uh, maybe you could give me a, a, a quick introduction as to where you're coming from so we can set up the conversation. Sure. I, um, as far as Pascal's wager goes, I like to make uh, some modifications to it to sort of firm it up. And, you know, the thing about Pascal is that uh, when he created his wager in, uh, he never completed it. He, he died before putting everything together. And so it's a bunch of scattered writings that have then been put together and it's incomplete. So we don't know what the final product would be. And perhaps, you know, he would have made some modifications, but I like to make some modifications to it. And a lot of times uh, on the boards, when I have made certain arguments, uh, skeptics like to say, oh, well, that's just Pascal's wager. And, you know, it 
it largely is, but um, because it does throw it into the realm of uh, that there's a bit of a gamble going on with your life. But um, I like to also look at evidence and uh, and especially since there's lots of evidence going for Christianity, you know, why would I not want to use that uh, so that it's um, it, it bolsters the argument? So, uh, you know, so I, I, I do like to look at the evidence uh, and mix it in with uh, the lack of evidence. Uh, as far as atheism goes, and and then when you make the gamble, then it becomes uh, less like going to Vegas and you know uh, playing the slot machine, and it becomes more like playing the stock market, where you know you you've got you can do some research and and make far more educated guesses in terms of how you're betting. Interesting. So you said a couple things there that I that I agree with. I love that you brought up evidence. I think that's mm -hmm. fantastic. I'm a big fan of evidence myself as a skeptic. Um, but you know, if you look at Pascal's wager, he didn't. He wasn't talking about evidence. He really, he really brought the wager to the table because he said ultimately, since these are metaphysical issues that will be settled after we're dead, you cannot bring reason to bear here. You have to wager. So, you know, it, it, I, I think that's one big place where I think you're, you're straying from what Pascal had in mind when he thought about the wager. Um, well, I, I agree that you do have to wager. And even if you don't knowingly wager, you are wagering. So <clears throat> I do agree with him in that respect. But um, and he, I think, was uh, making his argument for people who, uh, like atheists, just did not want to perhaps look at the evidence or, uh, and, and, and it's, I don't know that it's totally clear that he ever brings up anybody having evidence for, for believing. I, I think he does, you know, or that there's the implication of, for that. But I think that even for people that are a blank slate, uh, that he was still saying, look, and, and you can take this back to, which I think is a, is a great thing to start with, and that is to contemplate, okay, the origin of the universe. Did all of this complexity, this something come from nothing? Uh, was it just all random and, or was, you know, getting into the intelligent design argument, was there a creator that did that and that creator would be God? And so um, given that in our experience, when we look at, for example, science and we observe the natural world in our experience, we don't see intelligent designs just spontaneously happening. There's always a creator. And so why would we, in the one particular situation of the creation of the universe, why would we veer from our standard thinking that, you know, if, if we see a computer, that, well, they don't just pop up 
uh, into existence out of nothing, and they don't just pop up without there being some intelligent person designing the computer, why would the one time that we veer from that understanding that we have seen replicated in the natural world with the, uh, why would we veer from that when it comes to the creation of the universe? And so, so if we, if we take it to that ultimate level and, and say, okay, well, I'm going to be incredibly generous to the atheist and say, it's a 50-50 proposition. But honestly, I think just from from what we see in the natural world, I think it's a 90% proposition at that point that there's some sort of creator that it, that it didn't just happen randomly. But I'll be generous and say, let's just give it a 50-50 role. And that takes us all automatically to Pascal's wager of a 50-50 uh proposition and so uh then of course you know i'm sure you're going to be mentioning well you know which god is it is it the christian god is it uh you know is it some different god i mean there have been tons of different gods and and i'm sure we'll we'll be getting into that i don't know if you know you tell me when you want to get into that but um you know but you know let's start off perhaps initially with just whether there is a, a God and that, you know, that takes you to, to Pascal, even though Pascal was with his wager referring to specifically the Christian God. Right. So a uh, couple of things from what you just said there. Um, I think you, I, even though I even though I set it up ahead of time, uh, I still think you went to a place where I think you're you're pushing forward a false dichotomy, right? And and I, I appreciate the rhetoric of you trying to be generous by telling me it's a fifty fifty proposition, but um, I don't think that's accurate, right? I mean, there there are true dichotomies in the world. So is there a God or not God? Is a fifty fifty proposition, but that doesn't mean that that once you get into one of the prongs that it's either completely random or it has to be the Christian God, there are so many pathways you can go through. So if we're just wagering on, is there a creator or not, that would include a deistic creator. That would include a creator that started the universe and then left and is no longer in play. That would include many, many situations in which there's no downstream afterlife issues. There's no heaven and hell. It would also include situations where heaven and hell aren't that big of a deal. Heaven's kind of great. Hell's not so bad. So we're not into a place where we're at 50-50 where I have to worry about Christian hell or Christian heaven versus not. Well, let me ask you, in terms of the the false dichotomy argument, uh, do you think that – am I – taking that you think that there is some other option in terms of either there was a creator of the, an intelligent creator of the universe or not, or randomness. Is there, is there a third option in your mind? Right. So creator or no creator is a true dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. But we can, we can have a all powerful, all omnipotent, perfect creator or mm-hmm. many, many infinite versions that are less than that. Right. We can sure. have a, a really benevolent creator and one that's a total jerk and everything in between. 
on the on the no creator side, we could have total randomness. We could have structure and um, not guided is the wrong word, but the point is it's not randomness. There is some sort of process going on that we just don't have access to how it works, what the mechanics are. And so the point is, is that it doesn't have to be some empty, voidless uh, randomness on the no creator side. And, you know, we've been studying these things for a long, long time. Obviously, nat, uh, you know, study of the natural world has got us to a place where we can get back to the, to the point of the Big Bang, but we can't go before it. So because we can't go before it doesn't, again, throw us into this, well, it's got to be either Yahweh or, oh, the world is just a crazy random place that we, we don't know anything about. Well, right. And I do agree that in terms of whether we're talking about, you know, <clears throat> which God <clears throat> that, um, you know, that's a whole debate uh, unto itself, which, you know, I expect that we'll be getting into with this. But, uh, you know, with with the creation of the universe, you know, it's, uh, you know, either there was some sort of intelligence behind it or it was totally random because you know if you say oh you know it was the evolutionary process but what created that process or did it just somehow magically come into being because i mean with the whole big bang theory it's that something came from nothing and so uh, something put it into get to put it together and was it just randomness or was there sort of that first mover that guided the process? Right. I, I, like I said, I think you're using randomness uh, incorrectly here. It's, it's, not the, it's not the bucket of everything that's not intelligent creator. Think about how snowflakes are made. There's nobody up in the sky crafting together snowflakes and then dropping them down to the, to the ground. But snowflakes are incredibly complex. Uh, there's a, a, you know, an infinite number of combinations that they can form themselves in, and they happen through natural processes. I wouldn't call that random. I wouldn't call that meaningless. There is order and structure to how that's happening, and it creates something that looks incredibly complex and incredibly interesting downstream. So that's why I think using kind of the pejorative of randomness, like everything is, is, a, is a big you know, pot of who knows, is just not the right way to craft it there. Yeah, and like with snowflakes, snowflakes are like people. No two are exactly the same. So, uh, you know, that that can certainly happen in nature. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't dispute that. So, uh, you know, I... Right, I, so, you would, so, you, so you, would, you would agree that snowflakes aren't formed randomly? I mean, there's the question of, is there some greater process, like who creates the snowflakes? Who creates the weather patterns that create the snowflakes? Who creates how all of this works? I'm not disputing that there's a natural world with uh, natural uh, processes, but who? it's like, did this all just happen spontaneously and uh, randomly without guidance or is there some intelligent force that's not completely comprehensible to us that is guiding it and creating it 
that that's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm not trying to 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 say that there's a problem with just how nature works and the randomness and the uniqueness of of nature. And you know, just look at us human beings. We're all different. Look at you know, look at animals. Uh, no two animals are precisely the same. We all have our uh, our own little fingerprint. Right. And, and, you know, I don't want to linger here too long, but like I said, I, I wouldn't call the process of snowflake formation random. You're saying it's got to be either an intelligent creator or it's random. But we know how snowflakes are made, and I wouldn't say it's random. Whether there's a god upstream that needs to start it off, again, is, is up for debate, right? But we know a lot about the physical process of making snowflakes, and I don't have to jump to a god when I can uh, evaluate what's in front of me with regard to how it happens. So again, I think this is being cast as a false dichotomy. Perhaps a different word like intention could be helpful, that like, um, if there's no god, then there's no intention behind it, but it's clearly not chaos. Um, I feel like maybe we're using the word random in place of chaos, where it's like, sure, it's definitely not chaos, uh, but if there's no intention behind it, then I think Teddy is using the word random, which I understand how that can... I mean, what is when we use the word random, usually it's in respect to some sort of system that is generating something. So it gets a little confusing. But is intention an, a helpful term, Teddy? That there's yeah. no. In- yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a good way of um, helping to kind of parse parse that out. Right, and that, I think that that's a good point, Robert. Thanks for bringing that in. But um, again, intention doesn't necessarily follow from there being an intelligence behind it, right? I could both draw a, a sketch of a dog or I could knock over three cans of paint from a wall 10 feet high. And in one case, I'm very specifically intending to draw a dog and whatever mess happens on the floor after I dump the paint, whatever the specifics of it were nowhere near my intention. So again, we're not talking about a dichotomy where it's either what is downstream in creation is exactly what was intended by an intelligence versus it being not uh, done by someone that was actually up there. Well, no, I'm going to say when you get into the word intention, to me, to be intentional about something means that you are having to make a choice about it. And to make a choice, one, that is the act of a mind and that brings into play consciousness and that is not just you know an amoeba doing something or a cell do i mean when you start making a choice that and and having that intentionality that brings into play something other than um randomness Right. And what I'm saying is, is I think you're, you're begging the question by saying that whatever exists was intentionally put that way, exactly that way, because you think that there's a, uh, an intelligence behind doing it. And in my example of the, of the dropping the paint, I intended to push the paint, but the resulting actions downstream were out of my control. They had nothing to do with my choice. They were all physical processes of gravity and and physics, et cetera, that caused whatever pattern happened on the ground. So you cannot sure. assume, you can't assume, you can't assume the attention based on the result because you're not sure whether the specifics of the result was part of an intention. You actually need independent evidence 
of the intention. I agree with you in the particular situation that you describe because you are, um, although you are the Kabuki kid, you are still only human. Mr. Kabuki. And so, <laughs> Mr. Kabuki, you are still only human. And so you don't have that kind of power over nature. Whereas with God, when when he does something and he intends to do something, he has created all of the forces of nature. So when he does something, he does, uh, I believe, control how things splatter because he has created uh, nature. Now, he also gives us free will. So then that, you know, really mixes things up in terms of how things go down in terms of this earth and with people. Uh, but I, I just, I see your example as being a little bit different in terms of how God works. Okay, may, I, right. uh, so, may, I, may I make a yeah. uh, break in, uh, interrupt this uh, discussion on intention? I don't actually plan to try to resolve that. <clears throat> I, I enjoy the tension. But I, uh, I wanted to just go back uh, on a couple of things that were said before they get completely lost. And so if you don't mind, I, I think I'd like to have a mini conversation with Robert here while the contestants uh, catch their breath and figure out uh, their next move. Uh, Teddy, Teddy, are you willing to go back? Are you willing? Are you willing to go back to your corner for a few minutes so David and Robert can? Sure, that? absolutely. All yeah, right, I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, you know, I'll be I'll be handing uh, one of you a chair, and Robert will be distracting the referee. <laughs> um, so, who am I gonna hit over the head with the chair? Whoever's in the cage. <laughs> It ain't me. <laughs> I'm not stupid enough to get in there today. Um, Robert, if the bear gets out of the cage, you know, watch out. Tasers. Um, <laughs> what if the bear gets the taser? I'm, I'm, I'm very worried about this metaphor now. Um, <laughs> so, Robert, uh, early on, uh, Teddy was talking about uh, steel manning uh, Pascal's wager. And, and this right. is this is a practice that I'm actually in favor of these days. Um, I kind of go back and forth on the idea because part of me says, no, you shouldn't steal man your uh, opponent's argument because their argument is what they think. It is it is the um, production of their mind and their heart, and it is what they believe. And we don't have a right to come along and try to make it better. They don't believe the better thing. They believe the thing that they're saying. Um, but on the other hand, for the sake of philosophical charity uh, and conversational charity, uh, when you see someone has made a blunder, um, the nice thing to do and the thing for better conversation is to steal man uh, the argument, which is to try to make the, the better case than the opponent is making. You know, if they were only able to think a few levels deeper, they would have said this kind of thing. So um, first, before getting uh, into anything else, what do you think of the practice of steel manning um, in this case? Pascal was one of the most brilliant thinkers of his time. Uh, 
do we have a right to steel man Pascal? So, yeah, first with the steel manning idea, in general, I'm very much in support of it because what I like to see all these conversations as is the four of us sitting around a jigsaw puzzle trying to put the pieces together. And so the goal is external to us. We're trying to put the puzzle together. So, of course, I'm going to help the other person put the piece in the right place. Like, the goal is for as much clarity for everyone to leave this conversation and listeners to leave this conversation with more clarity about the world. That's my goal. So um, now it should be done in charity so that you're not like bulldozing the other person. But um, I think the pros far outweigh the cons of steel manning. Um, So yes, in general, I'm for that. Um, But you do bring up a really interesting point with regards to Pascal because Basically, every time I've heard Pascal's wager, it's been essentially in a vacuum. Uh, I've never read Pascal, um, really. I've just heard little quotes here and there, and mostly just the wager, really. So I've actually always wondered what the context was. And in fact, this was brought up, and I was going to bring this up anyway. This was brought up earlier with Brian and Teddy about um, does Pascal's wager sort of come at the end of a evidential defense of the Christian faith? Um, and so it sounded like Teddy was saying um, that it's sort of a part of this um, posthumous collected writings, um, which makes it interesting. Like, I-, I was wondering if it was a part of a larger work where – because it really does change the wager if it's – if the wager is chapter 8 and the first seven chapters are arguments for God, you know, because that's a very different context than just a uh, bald – uh, application of the wager. So um, perhaps we should, I mean, perhaps in the end we should call this Teddy's wager if she's steel manning her own version of it. But um, I say we take, uh, I mean, it's helpful from a historical standpoint of saying um, it's Pascal's wager is good. But ultimately, I do think we should, um, after discussing that, take the best form of the wager and discuss it. So right, this is, and, hey, oh. hey, hang on, just a, just a moment. You'll you'll get your chance to swing the chair. Um, the, Back um, to your corner, Teddy. Come on, we, we agree. <laughs> so the um, that actually brings me to my to my second point, Robert, which is uh, there's there's still Manning, and then there's just changing the argument and making right. it a different argument. Uh, and I would argue that Teddy is guilty of changing the argument because I have read Pascal's Wager. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, a thing that you can actually read that Pascal actually wrote. Um, and I, I just wonder how many people on the panel have actually read uh, what Pascal uh, said. But it, I'm not even using that as an indictment because there are two, there are two Pascal's Wagers. There's what he actually said, and then there's what the Christians use uh, and call Pascal's wager. And I think that what we're really arguing today is the modern Christian version of what Pas- you know, what they think Pascal was saying. But Pascal, and, and let me just also say very quickly, we live in a different context too, where Pascal, it felt more like the only game in town was Christianity and maybe atheism you know right. it, it was a different he was in a different headspace as well right and i i'm not even sure he was arguing against what we would think of as atheism per se because there weren't that many uh 
loud and proud atheist in his time. That's a good way to get your head locked off. But he um, did. He was aware of different religions. Uh, he certainly was aware of those. Right. But let me let me just say though that Pascal's wager was very specifically not um, additive to proofs of God. It was, in fact, a form of Christian skepticism. And what that means is a a Christian who does not believe there are proofs for God. And so Pascal was arguing against the apologetics of his time that were trying to prove God. And he rejected them all. He, He, like me... Uh, rejected all apologetic attempts. He thought that God was fully unknowable um, and that he could not be proven in that way. And so uh, when he became a Christian, he did not become a Christian via Pascal's wager. He became a Christian because he had a, an experience. Uh, and that's so that may be a little known fact, but that's how he became a Christian. And so it for him, became a matter of, well, how do I convince other people? Um, And so it was a matter of figuring out a decision matrix uh, where you don't have any proof. Uh, And so how do you make a decision for God uh, without that? And that's that's the whole point of the wager. So it wasn't additive on top of uh, things like the Columb cosmological argument, it was in rejection to things like the Columb cosmological argument, and so this is one of the one of the reasons I kind of reject um, Teddy's presentation as Pascal's wager. It is anti-Pascal's wager almost. Uh, now that said, that doesn't mean that it's it's not worth talking about. I think that Teddy's argument is better than Pascal's, um, but we're not talking about Pascal's wager anymore. And so I well, just I just wanted to put that out there. We kind of I mean we are and we aren't and you know one of the things is that Pascal's wager a lot of Christians including myself in the course of debating people uh, we say things and then it ends up devolving into, well, look, you know, you've, you've got a choice between, uh, you know, go with Christianity and save yourself so that you're not in hell for eternity, Uh, you know, just take a chance on that. And then of course, atheists, see, one of the things you didn't mention, David, is that it's not just, um, Christians saying, oh, we're, we're uh, using Pascal's wager. A lot of times Christians are making arguments and it's the atheist saying, oh, well, that's just Pascal's wager. I've had that done to me numerous times on the board and I'm not using the tight uh, weave that Pascal uses in his wager. But, but I'm actually um, giving you a little credit though, Teddy. Uh, I am saying that you are not using Pascal's wager. You're using something better than Pascal's wager. I think that uh, Robert rightly said we should call it Teddy's wager. Right, right. Um, and, and so and, I, uh, I agree with that. And, and you know, and actually, uh, I don't think you were included in this email, David, but uh, Brian with a Y, old Kabuki there. Uh, <laughs> she refuses. Mr. It's Mr. Mr. Kabuki. Now we got old Kabuki? I mean, it's getting worse. <laughs> 
Okay, you know what I'm going to say, David in Kabuki? Make me. Make me. I won't. I'm just, I'm just putting it out. I'm just pointing it out. Okay? <laughs> Uh, the whole kabuki David, thing, how, by the way. How, how did you talk me to get into this cage, Dave? I don't. Talk me I, I, see, I told you that we were going out to a nice dinner, and then you heard the clang of the door. That's pretty yeah. much what happened. Um, that I, the the dinner is that we are feeding the bear. The bear. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Look, I. So, Teddy, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it back. I just. I just had a couple of notes. I didn't want them to get away. That was just one of them, and I suggest that everyone kind of go back and look at you know historically what. Uh, Pascal's wager was. We will get into the uh, heaven hells better to better choose God than to risk hell. Kind sure, of thing. We, haven't, we haven't even gotten into the meat of that. But I just wanted to to put some foundation behind that. The other thing I wanted to say, and then I will go uh, dormant again. Uh, you guys were talking a bit about fifty uh, fifty propositions, and uh, this is something that Dale and I have argued about. This is something that everybody and Dale have argued about um, <laughs> because uh, we do not agree. Uh, with how you come to a 50-50 perspective. And so uh, this for Robert again, because you are an epistemology guy. Um, uh, you know, if if you have two choices and you don't know which is which, you must consider them 50-50 kind of thing. I think that that is incorrect. So uh, in, in terms of, just to give an example, if you are uh, standing at a street corner and you, you want to cross the street, mm-hmm. um you know, we can we can set up two choices where A, you cross the street safely, or B, you attempt to cross the street and get run over and die. Uh, and so you can say, well, I don't know which is going to happen. So it's 50-50, but that is incorrect. That is wrong. Your chances, Your you. chances are not 50-50 that you're going to die or that you're going to get there successfully. You have to introduce the prior probability and what we know about uh, safe street crossing. Uh, and so the chances are really more like 99.99 versus uh, 0.001. Uh, it is not 50-50. And so when you introduce a god into the situation, you don't get to just automatically say, oh, it's 50-50, uh, any more than you get to say that crossing a street and living or dying is 50-50. But no, remember, David, I was giving 50-50 to be generous. I think that... Uh, I'm sorry, um, this one was for Robert. The, oh. uh, Robert... <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Robert. No no problem. Um, So this actually came up on the Miracles episode that uh, I know you listened to, David, that I did on Dale's podcast, The Real Seekers Ministry. And um, yes, this is something I've thought about a lot because it's actually, it's hard for us to conceptualize um, when we ask the question like, okay, you know nothing about the universe. Is it 50-50 that the flying spaghetti monster exists? And on one level, it seems absolutely absurd to say it's 50-50. It seems like, why would, how could it be even close to that high? But on another level, if you're starting with no information, it that almost seems like that math adds up, but your intuition tells you it doesn't. So I think there's a couple things that, that helps this. Uh, number one is, I think it helps just to think, when it comes to knowledge, to think in terms of, there is data, and what is the best explanation of the data? I'm a very big fan of inference to the best explanation. And so that helps you get out of this um, vacuum 50-50 thinking. And instead, what is the data and what is the best explanation? It, immediately, you're, you have more reasonable prob- probabilities. Uh, the second thing I'll say is 
probabilities are always in respect to something, to some sort of prior knowledge. And if you have zero prior knowledge, then it's almost vacuous to say 50-50. And actually, um, on my blog, I've been going through Richard Dawkins' God Delusion, and I think he has a helpful discussion on this about how it's almost meaningless to say 50-50 when you have zero knowledge, because what is that percentage in respect to? And the street crossing is uh, a good example of this, that if you truly have zero knowledge about streets, you can say that it's a 50-50 chance according to your viewpoint, but it's not really helpful because you don't know anything. So I, I think saying 50-50 in a vacuum isn't very helpful, uh, and I, that's why I tend to just frame it, well, what is the data and what's the best explanation? Okay, so uh, Robert and I agree on everything. I handed it back over to uh, Brian, the host. Actually, can I, I wanted to just jut in one more thing before we go back to the thread we were on. And, well, two, two quick things is, um, David, you were talking about um, how Pascal um, presented his argument. I would be curious because we all, I think we would all agree, Pascal was a brilliant man just from you know his math and everything. And so I, I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have thought of a Muslim coming up and saying, Wait, what about other gods? What what about other religions? And I, I have no idea what Pascal would have responded, but I find it fascinating. I would love to know if there is an answer to that in scholarship or history about how Pascal would have responded to that. Um, and, and then one last thing I just want to put out there that I would love to get to at some point is the question of, does God care about what propositions we have in our heads? Um, and if that's the only thing he cares about, because Pascal's wager sometimes uh, reduces to that. So um, I'll hand it back to you guys, though. Okay, and so I will defer to the first question, because I think I know the answer to that, what, what Pascal would have said about some of these uh, alternatives. But I think that's going to come up in later discussion anyway. Um, and does God care about propositional beliefs? Uh that's another question that I'm going to ask you to just write down and ask later in the program, because I think, I think that's going to come up naturally too. Great. Good. That was, that um, was a good, that was a good sidebar. Yeah. Teddy, you had, I, I was going to say, um, perhaps Pascal felt that Christianity was the religion that was, had the best evidence going for it because a man is brilliant and as skeptical, I mean, Pascal is seen as one of the leading skeptics of his time and uh, a brilliant man. Uh, and my understanding is he, he actually, not Al Gore, created, well, not the Internet, but the first computer uh, that was doing, I don't know the specifics of that, but I've read that he actually created some form of a computer. So, I mean, a brilliant, brilliant mathematician. Uh, philosopher, and, um, you know, I, he certainly wouldn't, uh, it, it wouldn't be in keeping with all of that brilliance that he would choose a religion to believe in that wasn't what he thought would be the best among all of the religions that he was aware of. So I think that's why he focused on Christianity um, with his wager. Right. And as, as I understand it, he set up the wager this way because he's a mathematician and trying to put it in a way 
that a skeptic or not would be able to do it outside of looking at specific evidences for Christianity because he said that you should place the wager, decide on God, and then even if you don't really believe it, you're just putting your chips down on the table, well, over time, you'll, tr you'll uh, become to believe it because you need to now start going to church and singing hymns exactly. and saying prayers. Right. So, so again, it's not about, you don't, the evidence comes after. The evidence uh -huh. doesn't come before you select, yes, I'm going to believe in God. So clearly the wager is not about the evidence. It's about creating a false dichotomy and setting the, the um, results of picking A versus B as so tilted that you feel like it's, it's the only rational choice is to avoid the horrible birth. So, you know, I, I, th I think this is a good point to get um, you to weigh in on, Teddy. Do you think it's a good idea for a Christian to throw Pascal's wager in this way at the non-believer? Oh my God, hell is so terrible. Oh my God, heaven is so amazing. You've, there's, there's only one way to pick. You should pick for that reason. Do you think that that by itself is a good idea? They should use Teddy's wager instead because um, because the, the way I formulate it incorporates lots and lots of evidence and makes it a far more compelling proposition to an educated skeptic. And so, uh, you know, to a simpleton, then perhaps uh, Pascal's wager would work. And, and but with with atheists that are hard nosed and especially with atheists who used to be Christian, who have left uh, left their faith, you know, that's going to be a harder sell. You need evidence and uh and i believe that if you, if you combine all of the evidence and uh and then you throw in the whole gambling it because here's what i see and i with uh with atheists it, it seems like they they hear the evidence you know, the, the, the atheists, you know, including y'all, uh, where we have these discussions on the board, y'all hear the arguments that Dale and I and others make, uh, yet y'all disregard them uh, for various reasons. And so y'all are aware of that, yet y'all still don't want to take the bet in, in favor of God. And so in this particular situation where y'all are aware of the arguments, the, to me, the bet aspect is brilliant. And I think that, uh, you know, y'all are making a very, very risky bet that, uh, that the Christian God does not exist. But, but then, you know, and that was one of the things where I so wish I could have been on that uh, podcast, but as, as y'all know, my voice was so incredibly hoarse, uh, I, you know, in terms of the whole granting God and how you, Brian and David, I, I found it fascinating that it was only the person, Darren, who was brought up as an atheist that would, was going to go, uh, with God and hang out and play computer games with him and pal up with him. Uh, he was the only one that ended up uh, 
accepting that if you grant God, are you going to accept him? It was the, the former Christians who are now atheists, as in, you know, uh, David and you, Brian, uh, that were on that uh, show, where even if, if y'all granted God, y'all still didn't want to, uh, to fall in. And it had to do with things other than God's existence. And, and that's why um, there's always that, uh, that issue that I keep bringing up where atheists say, God doesn't exist, God doesn't exist, and I hate him. It's like, well, how can you hate some somebody that doesn't exist? It's like, there's just this something, something more that I've always wanted to kind of get into, and, and hopefully we will be able to kind of rehash some of that, because uh, I would have loved to have been involved in, in that, and, uh, but, uh, so, so it's it's kind of like if you if you take it to where you you grant God and then so I mean so y'all were not even having to wager yet y'all still didn't want to to fall in so it's like what do you do with somebody like that it's like that doesn't make sense like you for principles because you disagree with God's you think God is immoral. Uh, you want to, it, so if you grant God, that means that there is eternal damnation in hell. And we don't know precisely what that is, but, you know, a, a, a smart person assumes the worst, especially when they talk about, you know, fire and all this kind of stuff in hell. Um, so it's like, how does it make sense? And, and here, here's where you kind of get uh, a little bit of the wager. Why would you risk uh, hell being god awful um, for purposes of saying, "Oh, well, you know, God's immoral, so I don't want to be a part of that." You don't know that hell is just going to be hanging out with Satan, drinking margaritas, you know, with all your buddies. It's it's like it. If it's torture, uh, who who says and means? And I, I repeat that again: who says and truly means that for the purpose of upholding the principle that I am so moral and ethical that I find God which there's no way to fully even comprehend God, I find that what God is doing is immoral, so I'm not going to fall in with him. So uh, no need for a Nuremberg defense for me. I'm going to stand up against him, and then when I die for eternity, I am going to uh, possibly be in, you know, tortured or whatever, uh, eternally. And how is that rational? So let me just let me just say this seems like a good place to interject a conversation about heaven and hell, since they are crucial to Pascal's wager, especially hell. Uh, does it make sense? This is a question for the panel. Uh, does it make sense at all? Um, Pascal's wager. Does it make sense if one does not uh, presuppositionally believe in a heaven or, or hell? I mean, can can Pascal's wager even get off the ground without establishing that? Sure, 
because because there's still the gamble of whether or not there is a heaven or hell. You may not believe that uh, that there's a heaven and a hell, which would presuppose a God, um, but you may be wrong, and that is the eternal question. What if you are wrong? I'd like to to yeah to answer that, David, as well. Um, so I, I think my short answer is the wager can still make sense, but obviously the stakes are lower. Um, so you're betting it's much more about what you're you're betting this current life and how you spend this current life. Uh, but I want to respond to something a little broader about what Teddy said, and um, and this might put me in some disagreement with her potentially. Uh, but I follow Jesus not because he's the most powerful being in the universe, but because he's the most good. And this is something I've thought about, that if if somehow, metaphysically, Satan was running the show and Jesus was the insurgent, the good insurgent, I'm going to follow Jesus. Like, that, I want to be on the good side, not the power side, powerful side. Um, and... But to sort of agree with Teddy, it almost becomes, by definition, irrational to join the the quote-unquote good side if it means eternal torture. But even then, I almost want to be irrational, like, because of my moral intuition. Like, if I were to follow the good and the good meant that I could potentially be tortured forever, is that rational? Maybe not, but my moral intuition is drawing me in that direction. So I just want to put a stake in the ground on the Christian perspective that it we are following the good. And it's not just about uh, fire insurance or avoiding eternal torment. Can I say something, Robert, with, with what you're saying? Well, wait a minute. First, I want to hear Brian's answer to that question. Uh, mm-hmm. do, does Pascal's wager make any sense to you if there's no heaven or hell? If you don't, if you don't buy into that, I mean, in principle, it could. But again, what I said before is, I think the thrust of Pascal's wager, the true power of it, is trying to scare you into picking wrong when the stakes are literally the worst possible outcome imaginable. So, you know, you could still have a Pascal's wager where, you know, the upside is um, I get to see a good movie and the downside is I eat a horrible burrito and I'm feeling sick for a week. You know, maybe right. I'm not as but worried about not, picking. See, the, the thing that I'm having trouble with with all three of these answers is that's not Pascal's wager. <laughs> so, once again, we may be talking about a different Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager involves hell. And Pascal does not present this as just merely a formula where you can plug in any variables. Uh, Pascal's wager specifically requires the Christian God, Christian heaven, Christian hell, and uh, the in this earthly life. And if you take away the uh, Christian heaven and the Christian hell, you don't have Pascal's wager anymore. Right. I, I would agree with that 100%. Like, that is what Pascal's wager is. The way you framed the question, I thought you meant, are those the only things you can plug in there in theory, right? I mean, th- another guy, Bill Smith, could come along and have Bill Smith's wager, which isn't about the Christian God in heaven and hell, but it could be the exact same structure, the exact same flawed decision tree, and try to get you to to make sure you're avoiding the worst possible outcome that the wager offers. Right. So maybe... Uh, so maybe a couple of things that we can do while we've got heaven and hell in view. 
is to first of all see if if heaven and hell is definable and if they make sense as concepts. I, once again, I don't I don't actually believe in the hell, so I, Pascal's wager doesn't get off the ground with me. Um, but then maybe the second thing we can do is uh, well, so what what can we plug into Pascal's wager to make it make sense? Uh, because I hear everyone saying that, you know, maybe we could theoretically plug in some other variables, but I actually don't know what those variables would be um, to make it make sense. So uh, anyway, I just I just put that out there uh, to the panel. Uh, I, will, I will go back to my can, corner. Can I respond uh, to Robert? Yep. Go for Hello. it. Oh, um, yeah, 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 go ahead, Teddy. So... Robert, you were talking about, you know, what if Satan, uh, if he were in charge and he were the all-powerful, regardless of whether he was the creator, if he were stronger than God and if he controlled what happens to us uh, after we die, uh, I mean, no, this is a very uncomfortable and distasteful argument that I'm about to make. But you know, the truth is the truth. So if, if Satan, you know, was saying that we would be in, well, of course, he is in hell. But, you know, let's just say he throws this in, you know, let's say Satan's heaven is party time, you know, spring break in Florida. And, <laughs> and um, hell is, you know, eternal torture. It's... It doesn't make sense that someone uh, would, in actuality, when... I mean, it's one thing to say things hypothetically, but it's another thing when you were there in that situation. And it's, and it's one thing to be noble and standing up for your beliefs and even dying for your beliefs when you were in a finite world in the way that so many heroes have given up their lives for others, the way our, our military men and women uh, put their lives in danger, fighting for their country, fighting for their, for freedom uh, and are willing to give up their lives uh, in the service of others and for noble causes. Uh, that is one thing. But it's another thing to then be tortured eternally. And at that point, it's you've got to save your skin. It's somebody that I would say is irrational and not mentally stable that would, for the point of just standing up for right, be eternally tortured. So you're saying you would follow Satan? I in, in that, that situation, yes. I actually think the Bible agrees with you. So <laughs> I don't, although you're right, that's uh, How do you think the Bible agrees with her? I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think that's a Yeah, I, I, I'm curious on that too. <laughs> so uh, uh, I think most of the Bible's argument about following God is God is all-powerful. He's powerful and he can kill you. 
even Jesus said, don't fear the one who can uh, destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This is an argument strictly on might makes right and God can do bad things to you. Uh, you go back to Job. Job's answer from God when he asked questions was God to come in the form of a whirlwind and shout him down and make him wish he was dead and basically tell Job, I am powerful and you are a worm. Shut up. Uh, that is that is the God of the Bible in a nutshell. And, so and you know what? I actually you get think to that do that right. when you're God. Exactly, he because it's, he does get to do that because he's powerful, and that's yes. his argument. He's more powerful than you. He can give you good things or he can give you bad things. Shut up. That's that's kind of the message, Old Testament and New Testament. I, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I'm not, I'm not as good with it, but... <laughs> um, I'm, I'm definitely, not, I'm definitely not good with it, and it, uh, it reveals to me how little Teddy thinks about God, right? No, you, no, no. You, Absolutely. Let, let, let me talk now for a little bit here, Teddy. Mm-hmm. You were you you took off on nineteen different paths a little sure. while ago. I wanted to come back to it. You wanted to conflate God existing with me wanting to follow him, right? Yes. You said that before, right? I uh, I don't believe Voldemort exists, but I can tell you he's a jerk. I can tell you he's terrible. Terrible. I can tell you he's evil. Can you not see that you don't have to conflate whether someone exists to be to be able to evaluate them as a person, as their morality, as their uh, their value? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can do that, but he's a character, and it, but if God is real, I mean, first of all, if God is real, who cares whether you approve of him? If he is going to stick you, or, or if he gives you the choice, either have the reward or go to hell, and you choose to, to go to hell, you know, what good is is all of that, oh, well, he's immoral. Well, I mean, what good is that going to do you when you're suffering in hell? Right. So, so, so what you're proffering there is a doctrine of might makes right. So just make sure you also be consistent and say that God's not omnibenevolent. Might, not all does, might does make right. Right. So God's a big old jerk in your theology. No. I want, it, you, to admit, I want no. you to admit that. He's, he Well, I won't admit that because he gives us a choice. He gives us a choice of having infinite rewards in heaven. And if we reject that and if we reject him, then the other option, you know, the uh, it, it's, it's, you know, you got two choices. And um, a, cho- a choice by itself doesn't you know, get him out of the problem here. Right. I have a choice. I think it tell- does. I have a choice of telling you you should wire me a million dollars or I'm going to come and burn your house down. I've given you a choice. The right. choice should be obvious, right? Right. Does that, make me- does that make me moral? Does that make me someone worthy of worshiping? Well, you can only have morality if there's God. Otherwise, we're just not, talking not this, ethics. Not the God you're talking about. Maybe the God Robert's talking about. Robert, can you come in on this and, and tell me if I'm missing something here? Um, n- no, I mean, I would say... So I think this gets a little bit confusing because there's like, you know, this philosophical conception of God that by definition, he's the most good being. And so I think that's maybe hanging in the background of everything Teddy is saying that that to to say that this might makes right um, is also assuming that it is somehow this God of perfect goodness. Uh, but when you start to picture a God who isn't perfect goodness, then I'm definitely with you, Brian, in that um, I don't think 
uh, I, I'm not on board with this might makes right if if we're actually conceiving of God that isn't perfect goodness. And and that partly responds to what David was saying. Um, I mean, the passages he brought up definitely need to be addressed, and some are quite disturbing. But like even when Jesus says, you know, the one who can throw you in hell, this is the same Jesus who showed this incredible act of self-sacrificial love. So um, it's clearly in this context of this good God, um, at least um, arguably. So I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sort of with you, Brian, but I think when Teddy is talking, she she is this background idea of the logical definition of God or the philosophical definition of God is this perfect being. Right. And, but and, and remember, God, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, what I was just going to say is, 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 Robert, I think that's right. And, and this is where I see the inconsistency is flip-flopping between top-down versus bottom-up reasoning, right? Obviously, if God is the source of morality and is all moral, then anything he would do would be moral. But if I can have a definition of moral that shows the things he's doing are not moral, if all you have is a tautology, then, then the game's over, right? If, right? But the Bible itself says that good trees generate good fruit. And if I see a God that's perfectly willing to burn me for eternity because I don't believe in him, I have now evidence that this God, if he exists, is not all loving, is not all moral, is not the source of morality, is not omnibenevolent. But, but, you, but you, want, you want to jump back to the logical part. Why Sorry? wouldn't she, why, but still, okay, so let's just say, again, let's use the Satan example. Why wouldn't you go with Satan and save your skin from, uh, you know, being singed and burned and all that for eternity, if assuming hell is that way. Teddy, we really um, don't know what hell is like. I think I can partly answer this because I actually feel like to some degree I made this uh, deliberately irrational decision, which is when I was going through very deep doubt, it was a it was an option on the table that by questioning my faith, I was damning myself to eternity. Like that was a potential, you know, like there's some scary passages in Hebrews about walking away from the faith. And so uh, there was a chance in my mind, I knew it was small uh, because I was hoping in a truly good God, but there was a chance that by simply questioning my faith, I was going to be tortured forever. And I, I, I literally thought through this, that how in a sense, what I'm doing is irrational because once you're being tortured forever, there's no way you're not going to regret making this choice, but I also felt compelled to question. And so um, I I made that choice. Um, and so I think you kind of can uh, make that quote unquote irrational choice, um, uh, practically speaking. So I don't know if that helps clear things up. Well, but I it is, it's a thought experiment and we, we can't really help what we think. And, but that's a thought experiment is different. For example, uh, when people debate abortion, there are uh, women who might say, I would never have an abortion under any circumstances. And then, you know, they find out they're pregnant and uh, their child is uh, going to be born with Down syndrome. It's like, oh, well, now I'm going to abort them. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes you have to be in the situ in the actual situation, not just in a hypothetical situation. And I, I, I would submit, Robert, that when you were having this, uh, these thoughts, that's all still in the very hypothetical 
uh, situation in your head as opposed to, you know, being a, uh, confronted with, oh my gosh, I am actually now in hell and I would give anything to be out of here. But you're you're totally right. You're totally right. Like if uh, you're, any soul, any consciousness is being tortured forever and Satan checks in on you a hundred years later and says, hey, you sure you don't want out by following me? Like, how can you blame really any soul for saying, yes, let me out? At of course, like, of course. course. But that you're talking about being driven to insanity by being tortured for eternity. So, I mean, but but even if it was just, um, you know, one zap of the taser, uh, most people would be okay. Had enough. I get, I've, I've, you know, you're faced with the situation. You see that it is real. And now you wish that you had chosen differently, but when it's just a big thought experiment in one's head, to where one does not have, uh, because of course religion with everything else, there's a certain element of faith involved. It's not 100% provable. So it's easy to, uh, well, maybe let me question whether God exists because I'm not threatened with hell right at the moment. It's some far off, maybe it doesn't really even exist, you know, idea. Um, but you know, I, I guess I can ask the question that I feel like maybe the other two will be wondering too is you bring up this idea of being zapped, you know, once is that a healthy decision at that point, though? You know, uh, like, I'll yeah, let me just ask you that, Teddy. Is that you okay? You've been very viscerally made aware of the pain involved. Is that a healthy decision to make at that point? To save oneself? Yeah, or even is is that a healthy mental state to make that decision, period? It, 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 who cares whether it's a healthy mental state? <laughs> it's like save yourself. And when some people argue, you know, with Pascal's wager, one of the common uh, arguments against it as well, what if God is not approving of people who believe in him just to save themselves? What if that person doesn't fully fall in and love God and, and, you know, is, is worshiping him and all of that? What if they're doing it strictly to save oneself? Um, or just, you know, for their own um, motivation. Okay, look, and- I got, I got, I got to rig in here. Uh-huh. T- Teddy, I'm going to, I'm going to try to save your argument <laughs> for a moment, just for the fun of it, just for the heck of it. Um, I can save it you myself. cannot. You, you are, <laughs> David, you have David, a- David, before, David, David, before you go, I was going to say, David, real quick, before you go forward, just, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Sun Tzu in the art of war. <laughs> When your, enemy, when, your, when, when your enemy is making a mistake, don't interrupt him. No, I'm, I'm, gonna, happy, no. I'm happy to stay quiet here right no, now. No, no, no. <laughs> She's got an industrial strength, automatic shovel, and it's on full. <laughs> and, 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 and I am going to unplug this thing. Um, but I'm going to actually try to steal, man, your argument. Pascal doesn't need to steal, man, But I'm going to do it. Here's the thing. I'm actually going to You're throwing me off track now. Yes, I am. I forgot what I was saying. Excellent. I'm going to side with you for a moment and say 
I agree. Uh, one zap of the taser, uh, I'm talking. I'm spilling my guts. The torturer, in fact, just needs to show me the taser. In fact, they don't even need to show me the taser. Uh, they just need to ask me in a sinister voice. I'll just tell them what they want to know. Don't, it, don't give me any military secrets. Uh, I, will, I will avoid the torture. Um, but here's the thing. Um, Teddy, you're talking about a situation where we, in fact, have knowledge. We're not Pascal wagering anymore. Uh, and so we've got. You, you had so, granted God I, in that last I, podcast I, and still didn't go I, with I understand, God. So but now I'm, you're switching positions. I am switching positions slightly. I am saying Big that time. if we are in the scenario that you are saying, faced with God, the, the knowledge of God and the presence of God, and we are faced with the devil and the knowledge of in uh, hell and the knowledge of hell and the, the reality of hell. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid the hell. Now, according to the Christian, it's too late at that point. And I have to actually make this decision now yeah. with, without, without having uh, proper knowledge to make the decision. But That's I'm, where the gamble I, but, is. But I'm with you uh, that if it comes down to the point of knowing, and, and let's say Satan uh, is actually the one who wins the thing. I'm switching sides, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to save myself. I am not going to go for a martyr's death at that point. I, because neither one of them is going to give me a, a good death anyway. So I'm going to, um, I, I am with you. But I just think that that is a scenario uh, that we are not realistically given. And if this God of yours was a good God, he would, in fact, give us certain knowledge of himself and not make us choose on the weight of bad evidence. And we wouldn't have to go through Pascal's wager. Okay. I'm going to lock you in here, David, because you have on a number of occasions, you've said this before, but then you'll flip. So which is it? If let's grant God, God, the Christian God exists a hundred percent. Let's say a hundred percent that hell is, you know, hellfire okay. and brimstone, I do, I torture to for all to the eternity. program, but when when I granted God, I don't think I granted hell. And so once again, this, oh, come this on. goes How back. Oh, come on. grant God, not grant? Easily. I mean, I Many Christians do it right now. <laughs> They're doing it now. <laughs> so ask, ask your brethren and sisters about that. Um, all right. Well... <laughs> That's a very risky proposition because the Bible clearly speaks of a hell. Now, is that um, figurative language? I'm not risking it, and it's a fool that risks it, in my opinion. Well, and I don't all, mean all to I be ugly is, about I didn't, that. I didn't but, grant hell, and I honestly think that hell is, in fact, the elephant in the room that we <laughs> that we really need to talk about because it, without it, it doesn't make sense. But I'm just telling you, if I'm faced with the reality of it. And God says, there's, there's your eternity right there. You know, you can dip your finger in it and see for yourself. Uh, I'm going with God. I will pick up my machete okay, and kill all you heathens. Record. I'm going to, so, but that's David a, just became a Christian, guys. Let's uh, write it down. Yeah, I've become, yeah. I've become a Pascalian Christian. Um, <laughs> I don't so think that's going to save David, me. David, just read all the stuff I sent you on the shroud for your nice evidence. <laughs> and, uh, and then we've got other good stuff, too. But would, would, would you, would you uh, I'm just going to ask the other two hosts, would you not agree with Teddy if we are not, no, if we're no longer wagering, 
but we are actually facing the outcome. And so for Brian, I'm going to say we're facing where God is the winner and hell is your home. And, and for Robert, Satan is actually the winner. Um, you know, in that, in that moment of reality, do you defy Satan after he's won? It's very hard to say uh, I would. I mean, uh, I would. I almost would like to say I would, but you're at you're you're forcing. I, I still would say you're essentially forcing insanity by way of torture. You're you're yes. putting this weight of immediate, infinite torture directly bearing on your mind and making a decision. So, um, yeah, I mean, realistically, uh, I'm probably going, I mean, I'm probably going to say, yeah, I'll follow Satan and then I'll figure it out from there. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. And and this, is Teddy's, this is Teddy's argument. And that's all I was trying to do the, is the just defense. kind of steel man what she was saying there so that it didn't sound absolutely absurd. It didn't need your steel manning. Thank you very much. I, I have a question for Teddy about this that I think is crucial is uh-huh. what about where Paul says that he would rather be cut off so that his fellow Jews would be saved? I love that because um, in my study of the New Testament, the self-sacrificial love of Jesus is everything. And Paul is trying to emulate that life. And here he makes a statement that is almost absurd in the exact way we're talking about, risking eternal damnation for his brethren. Like, how do you make sense of that where Paul is not saving his own skin? Well, no, hold, hold on, hold on. Uh, Paul says that he will risk being cut off uh, in terms of in the afterlife or on earth. Um, I'm actually pointing up right now. It's Romans 9, 3. And this is the NIV. He says, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. So clearly, eternally. Yeah, I ain't doing that. (laughs) 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 I'm not doing that. What what I think is important, though, with this verse is I think it gets to the heart of Christianity. And you know what? I think I think Paul's talking smack right there. I, you know, it, it's one thing to say it, and it's one thing again to be absolutely faced with that. And anyway, he can say that yet in his head, still, God, I, I'm really still with you. So come on sure, now, sure. he's just that's just rhetorical stuff. The, but but I think it it points to uh, his heart and how he holds his faith that it's not just about saving his own skin. That that's you know, not the heart of his faith. And I will say, um, and again, kind of like I mentioned with the abortion example, uh, it's one thing to uh, to say that you'll do something, and it's another it's another thing to be faced with it. And I've Uh, My whole life, for as long as I've been aware of what abortion is, I have, from the time I was a kid, I have been pro-life staunchly. But I have always in my head thought, you know, you never truly know what you will do unless you are faced with a certain situation. And um, and I ended up being faced with uh, a situation when my uh, son was, uh, when I was still carrying my son and they did the first ultrasound, they saw an anomaly and I kept, you know, 
getting asked, well, you know, do you, you know, sometimes if you see one anomaly, it might be, uh, there might be other anomalies. And they were basically trying to tell me, well, you know, maybe there will be Down syndrome or something. And um, so I actually was put in that uh, position, you know, with the doctors even kind of you know, not out and out saying, hey, you know, we're running up on, on the time in terms of, you know, how long you've got before you can have an abortion if you want one. Um, and I said, no, it's like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, and my son, you know, he did not have uh, Down syndrome. But, uh, you know, and they were saying, well, you know, we can do an amniocentesis, which has a slightly less than 1% chance of causing a miscarriage. Because they were saying, well, you know, maybe we should do this so you can know at least for sure if, uh, if your baby might, is going to have Downs. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to risk my baby dying. I'm, you know, I'm just going to, whatever happens, happens. But it, it's so it's it's another thing when you are put in that situation. But, you know, what if I were put in a situation if if um, if they told me that my baby was going to come out uh, horribly deformed and live life as a vegetable? Uh, would I have an abortion then? You know, that becomes a trickier question. Uh, and you don't know for sure what you will do until you are right there face-to-face with it. But um, so, you know, same thing with, with martyrdom. It's what I would like to think that if I were put in a situation that, uh, you know, that I would uh, or could become a martyr, I don't know if I have the guts to do that or not. I, I think I would only know for sure uh, if I were faced with that, I'd like to think that I would have the guts to do that, but I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, when people have a gun to their head, it's one thing when you are living in a finite universe to do that, to, uh, to, to, to do, you know, what many of the apostles did where, you know, they martyred themselves and, and many other Christians, uh, throughout history who have martyred themselves for God. It's one thing to do that when there's still all of eternity to be in heaven. It's another thing entirely to do that if your eternity is going to be spent in hell, and we don't know for sure whether hell is the fiery place that that Jesus talks of, or if that's figurative language. But, you know, I will say that with me, I tend to be far more motivated by avoiding bad things happening to me than I am motivated towards gaining rewards. And, uh, and so it's one thing, uh, and I can even see how some people could be atheists and it be rational if there wasn't the threat of an eternity in hell, if it was a matter of, okay, you know what? I really don't want to believe in God. I don't like the idea of somebody controlling me or somebody being the boss of me. Um, and I want to do all sorts of sinful stuff that God doesn't approve of. So I'm going to live a La Vida Loca on earth 
and then I don't have an afterlife, you know, so it would be a finite life. I could see how somebody could rationally make that choice. And you've just destroyed Pascal wage, Pascal's wager. No, because no, I've, no. I've been saying from the beginning, Absolutely. I don't believe in hell. Okay, it, 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 it just doesn't work if hell. you don't. But Pascal's wager has hell involved. But I don't believe in hell. And and furthermore, hell is a concept. This is a conversation it's too late in the program to have right now because I want to make sure we end on a uh, on a particular point. But I, I just have to say, because I'm I'm surprised how much we have danced around uh, this particular 800-pound gorilla. Uh, hell is just a made-up concept to manipulate you. It would be like Who says? It would be like me telling you, Teddy, that unless you agree to do everything I tell you for the rest of your life, uh, you're going to spend eternity in Grethor. And uh, Grethor is a place uh, where rabbit dogs... Uh, take bites out of your body for all eternity, and you will regenerate them, but you will be attacked by uh, vicious dogs forever. And so make your choice based on that. Well, you're, there is no choice based on that. I just made the shit up. Okay, but yeah, so but it, that's, it doesn't that's have a, it. It doesn't have the weight of decision behind it. Of hell, course it doesn't hell, because you made it hell up. Hell is the same way. It's just no, shit Christians made up is, to scare people and manipulate weak-minded people into doing everything they say. And until you can show me otherwise, that is how I am always going to view hell. Pascal's wager has no decision matrix without this made-up piece of garbage. That's that is why how Teddy's it, wager is better than Pascal's wager. Teddy's wager still includes hell. It's still a yeah. made-up piece of manipulative garbage. I okay. don't have to consider it at all any more What's than you your, have to consider Teddy, 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 you, Teddy, you just said it could be rational to be an atheist if there was no hell. So what do you got? Yes. How, do, how do we know that hell's real? Off you go. Let us know. Okay, hell is real. I mean, you, then we get into a discussion, which you know we can get into that discussion. You're, in terms you're, you're of going, you're going, si- you're going sideways already, Teddy. No, if no, no, no. If hell is real, I want to know about it. How do you know hell's real? I know hell. Okay, my basis for thinking that hell is real is because the Bible says it. Now, what is my basis for thinking that the Bible is credible? Okay. Then what we do is we start to look at evidence that corroborates what the Bible says. The Bible's a book, right? Well, I mean, it's a compilation of different documents that have been put together. And so, and actually, you and I would agree that you you and I would agree that it's a book written by people. But I think it's just that. You think it's more. So now you need to bring the evidence of okay. the more. And, and, and again, I want to emphasize, because I think that that's a strong point of um, the Bible, that it was not just all created altogether like a cohesive book. Because with it being a compilation of different writings, that means that when those writings are in sync they corroborate one another. And then when you get... Uh, either, either they corroborate or they're self-fulfilling when the people writing the downstream writings have the, have the four writings uh, at their disposal. I, I, well, could finish, or, I could finish Game of Thrones for George R.R. Martin now since he's written so much, but if I had to start from scratch, I'd get somewhere very different. But then you've got to go with also looking at extra-biblical evidence in terms of things where, where people 
who were not Christians, uh, you know, and then you get into the evidence for Jesus, whether, I mean, do we have anybody here that is really going to seriously argue that he didn't exist as a historical figure? I know that there are those people, but. Well, give, given, its, given its history, right, all, all of history is probabilistic. So even if we think it's strongly likely that he existed as a person, forget the, the divine stuff, it's not 100%. Right. So again, you've you've got the but you've got this chain of a number of non one hundred percent stuff to get to your end, and when you do the probability calculation, it's going to be way way below fifty percent. Uh, no, actually, it only the, it only the, takes a handful of ninety percent sure things to get you below fifty percent if they have to be dependent. No, I mean you have to you have to just um, think of it as. Uh, a scale, you know, like a scale of justice where, you know, you got the two sides and you just start piling on evidence for God's existence, the Christian God's existence. And on the other side, the evidence that, that he doesn't exist. Well, when you pile on all the stuff for God's existence, it's very compelling to where it then becomes irrational to not think that he exists, but but you've got you've got your false dichotomy again because you've got one scale, but there there's a, a number of doctrines related to whether Christianity is true. Some could be true, not all could be true, all could be true, half could be true, some could be half true. It's not it's not just looking at a scale and putting one stuff on one side and, right, and a bunch of other stuff I'm on sorry, the other side. Hold on, let me make sure I understand you right. Were you just talking about uh, whether in terms of which Christianity or which religion is true? Well, uh, anything, all of them. You you, you got to you got to go down the line. All right, yeah. I mean, we can do that. It's like first, let's figure out which is, uh, you know, if God exists, which is the true God. I will I will argue, and I believe that the Christian God is the one that has the most evidence backing it up. And uh, right, but you're you're making my point for me. It's not taking a scale and putting a bunch of stuff on one side and a bunch of stuff on the other side. It's linear the dependent variables. If God doesn't exist, then we don't have to talk about the resurrection. We don't have to talk about the shroud. We don't have to talk about heaven and hell. You're already done. But now you have get... to first determine that God exists because right. that requires faith. And so we you can't, have to well, if it requires it faith, then I don't have any reason to believe it's true or not. It's, it's, it's completely meaningless. But again, that brings us to Pascal's wager. There's the right. question, does God which, exist or does he not? Which you've been disavowing for this whole show, but no. now you have to come back to the big Teddy, hammer of hell, which we no, and David just spent the Teddy's, time saying it doesn't exist. Teddy's wager is basically, it's a twist. It, it's not a twist. It's supplements Pascal's wager. I like to add in all of the evidence uh, for God's existence and not just make it a, uh, just a blind 50-50 proposition or whatever. Because Pascal said, even if it's a 10% chance that God exists, that it is far better to, and you know, and let's emphasize this, risk versus reward. Because here we are talking about Pascal's wager, and we're not even getting to the central aspect of when, so if you, if you take his wager as well as mine, it's kind of like if you end up betting that the Christian God is the one true God, if you end up going with that, your rewards are infinite. 
And you also happen to usually live a, a, a still a good life. And, you know, the other thing that y'all don't get into is because some atheists think, oh, well, you know, for example, if someone's homosexual, they might think, oh, well, God doesn't approve of homosexuality. Of course, God also doesn't approve of, you know, uh, people fornicating out, you know, outside of marriage. Uh, or I guess that's the definition of fornication. Anyway, um, but uh, it's like know, it's but, like a sleeveless vest, right? Is, is that what you're yeah, yeah, right, right. It, it, so it's like you know, pe- there are Christians who do all sorts of things that go against God's teachings, yet they will still be saved and go to heaven. And then, depending on how they live their lives, uh, God will will determine what rewards they get. And so uh, uh, someone who is engaging in perhaps a lifestyle that isn't ideal in terms of what God wants, they don't have to choose atheism uh, as their only choice. Like, you know, either I have to be 100% perfect, which of course none of us can be, or be an atheist no you can you can still end up uh going with god falling in accepting jesus as your savior so that you can go to heaven and avoid hell and um and and still you know i'm not i'm not saying that you shouldn't do your best to try to live according to god but you know, if for some reason, like like if someone is gay and and they they just refuse to you know to to be celibate, and you know, and I can understand that, and I'm extremely sympathetic to to that situation because uh, who wants to uh, to not have the kind of love and relationship that they really want to have. So I'm, I'm extremely uh, sympathetic to that. But, you know, so I would say, for example, if someone is, is gay, just still be a Christian. And, you know, maybe your reward may or may not be quite as, as big. But you know what? There are plenty of straight people that do a bunch of stuff and their rewards are going to get lessened too. So, you know, let God work all of that out. Just fall in, do the best you can. We're all sinners. We are all flawed. And that's, that's why Jesus, you know, was here to be our savior because none of us are going to, to live up to his standard. Okay, let me me just jump in because of uh time. This is the perfect introduction to the conclusion. Um, uh, There's a lot more to be said um, here. There's a lot that we didn't get into, and uh, I might well do a bit of a director's commentary uh, to touch on some of that. Hopefully the commenters uh, will take over and uh, cover a lot of the things that weren't covered, but what you, your, your last speech there is actually a thing that we cannot leave this discussion without talking about. And I know that we've got a hard stop uh, in a little while. And so I just want to be sensitive to that and make sure that we get this last thing in. And so it's the only part of this conversation that really matters to me. 
because I think out of all of the deal breakers for Pascal's wager, this is probably the biggest one, which is, uh, let's say theoretically, I'm convinced by your argument. I am not. Uh, but as a thought experiment, you have convinced me, uh, Teddy, how do I accept Pascal's wager? You see, I don't believe in God. Pascal's wager is very presuppositional. You have to believe in God. You have to believe in heaven. You have to believe in hell. These are requirements, and everybody that Pascal was talking to at the time had these presuppositions. I do not. How do I accept Pascal's wager and avoid hell? Well, I mean, you just you look at all of the evidence that exists for God, and I mean, like I said, no, 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 there no, no, no. is no. You're not. You're not addressing the question. Um, and so maybe maybe Robert can help. Uh, You're saying I, like what act to take? That's right. Oh. What, what is what is the practical thing that I can do to accept Pascal's wager, seeing that I don't actually believe in God? Okay, and and so let's just say you're also going to do the whole invincible ignorance where just the best arguments in the world, you just refuse to believe them, but you still Correct. want to accept the wager. Because, because now you've psychologically damaged me enough to think I'm, there might be fire at the end of this. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, and I need fire insurance. How do I get it? Okay, all you do is say to God in Jesus that you accept him as your savior. Jesus, I accept you as my savior. And that pray to him that he can help unharden your heart. Jesus, and, I pray that you unharden my heart. And you've got to try to mean it now. Okay, but I don't. <laughs> I don't believe it. You've just blown it up. You've just blown it up, okay? Uh, I, I said in the first place, I don't believe. Say, okay, but, but, okay here's, here's the thing about God. Real, real, real quick, real quick. This reminds me of when I asked Dale to introduce me to God, and he thought I was joking. Why is it when we get down to brass tacks, it, 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 it all becomes uh, foibled at that point? Okay, you know what? I think I've just come across what the distinction is, like with what you're doing, David. Um, if if one were sincere about it, which of course you are not. Um, I don't believe would, in any of the presuppositions that I'm uh, that I'm supposed okay. to believe. Okay, so like <laughs> you look at all of the evidence and say, God, I'm just you know so uh, cursed with invincible ignorance because I'm 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 not looking at all sure. this great evidence, uh, but you know, please help me to uh, to see the light and to fully understand or comprehend the evidence that you have laid okay, here let me, for let me, us let me try this. and God, that you are willing to are submit there, to him. And if you can hear me, uh -huh. I have robust skepticism against all the efforts that your people have tried to, to give me to convince me that you are real. So if you are real, I would like to know that you are real. If you are good, I would like uh, to experience that goodness uh, and uh, that's all I can do. Amen. And then submit. How, how did I do? Okay, but then also, it's a question of 
acknowledging that he is is God, you know, Almighty. You know, he is. But I don't believe that. Where you submit? You're, you're, you're telling me that I've got to just believe it presuppositionally. So let me. I I won't. I going through this exercise. I haven't forgotten about your question earlier, Robert. Uh, and and uh, I, I have a way to – I want to answer your challenge that I think will include that as well. Good. So I, so your first question that I asked to, to defer uh, until later because it was going to come up um, was, you know, surely Pascal considered all of this. Uh, actually, he, he didn't really – consider all this he was well, he living said go he to was, church yes yes that's that's what I... i'm getting to but he assumed presuppositionally that people already believed the major pieces of the puzzle so he wasn't really trying to provide evidence for true atheists so this is this is one of the things uh, that you have to understand and uh he was only considering christianity as as the thing because he had received a uh, you know, some kind of um, experience uh, that convinced him. I don't know if we know what that experience was, but... Um, yeah, he was in a, like a horse-drawn carriage or something like that, and something... So it well, he, like, woke up in the middle of the night. He he had this thing uh, sewn into his jacket pocket. Right. Do you guys know about this? Yeah. Where it says, yeah. like, the, the fire that he saw. Yeah. Yeah. No, everything that I've read said that he had the the things sewn in his pocket because of the, the experience, like with the horses, he was in an accident. Uh, and these horses and I guess he probably, it was probably a near death experience. Um, and so then just to kind of commemorate that, he wrote it down what happened and he kept that, you know, in his vest and apparently it's still hanging in his, coat pocket i think somewhere there in england probably in some in a church right. so we we all agree he had right. some experience he had something so in his coat pocket his ultimate answer uh to what you should do is essentially fake it till you make it uh, yes, which yes. is which is and he believed he was in a very works righteousness kind of uh christianity and so you know go to mass t- take the you know take the communion do the things um you know, do all the things that can be done, and if you do this, uh, it, you know, with a with a you know right frame of mind, at some point, you will just believe. You will you will start to believe, and you will you will start to believe that this life is so much like nothing that you are risking nothing. And so, also, the, let, me, oh, let me just finish it. The idea that you are risking nothing in this life is contingent on you having a certain kind of conditioned mindset uh, that this life is nothing. And so you have to kind of go through these practices before you can get to where Paul was, where he said, I consider all, all of this dung to me. This is all a pile. Life is a pile of shit to me. This is what Mm -hmm. Paul said. Um, And so you have to kind of self hypnotize and brainwash yourself to the point where that's how it feels, and then the wager makes sense. It doesn't make sense until you do all the things, all the religious things, and kind of fake yourself into a mindset where then you will start to magically believe. I can tell you that this is wrong because I spent the the better part of 40 years in the church, doing church, and believing, and then at the end trying to believe, 
And I got to a place where I couldn't believe. It didn't make me believe. It made me not believe. Uh, so I, I can just say that Pascal's solution is wrong. And so I'm asking again, and uh, Robert, I uh, wanted to hear from you on this. What is a person supposed to do if they have become so psychologically scarred that they are afraid of hell? Yes. So I think uh, one way to answer uh, Pascal's wager sort of is to frame it as if you're one of the first disciples. Um, One thing I, and this is where I'm going to maybe reveal myself as being a slightly weird Christian in this way where Teddy might disagree with me, but uh, I, I think it's interesting. I read this essay once about how we, we harp on like being born again and like Paul saying, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you'll be saved. Um, but if you look at like the gospels, the pretty much the only thing Jesus says to every single person that joins him is he says, follow me. That's it. He doesn't say, pray this prayer. He doesn't say, become born again. He says, born again to one person. So I think in a lot of the disciples, it seems pretty clear they weren't fully sure of things like they didn't fully understand him they didn't fully understand the trinity and yet they were following him so um and to take this a step further i actually one of my favorite theological books that i would love to get out there more um that i read in the past couple years is called uh i think it's called oh saved by saved by allegiance alone um by matthew bates and it's a fiery title uh it ruffles feathers but his point is that the word pistis which means faith in the new testament is almost always better translated as allegiance and another way to say allegiance is follow me and so i think um a much better model of salvation and what it means to take up for instance pascal's wager is to follow christ to to put in your allegiance and uh just looking at the first disciples that doesn't mean having all the propositional knowledge uh paul took years to think through all of it and he still probably didn't have the full picture Uh, none of us have the full picture all of us have screwed up theology at some point or another so um but i do want to say i totally um uh want to validate what you're saying david of that you can only go on little faith for so long like i think and this is sort of how i would answer uh a steel man pascal's wager is i think it can be valid um if you have good reasons or maybe teddy's wager if you have good reasons to believe um or you feel like you have you feel like you have had in the past, but right now you're feeling at a 10% level, I think it can make sense to continue to follow for a while. But at some point, if you just don't believe it, you're going to run out of juice and it's going to become destructive. And I agree with you, David, that there isn't, you can't fake it at that point. Um, So it's almost like maybe a temporary thing, just like it was a temporary thing for the disciples. Like, they could only follow this random fisherman for so long until they knew who he was. If he never revealed himself, are they going to stick around forever? You know, so I think that model makes a lot more sense. And I know there's questions about works righteousness and stuff and all that, uh, but I think that's a, at least a better starting model. If I could say something, if um, I, I make all my assumptions based on we're talking about people who are rational to where they go with where go where the evidence leads them and when you do that 
I am not aware of any religion that has more evidence backing it up than Christianity. And when you look at, um, even just with a historical claim like Jesus, uh, you know, you, you look at uh, what Islam says. They said that he uh, did not die. So, of course, there couldn't have been a resurrection because he didn't die on the cross. Then the, uh, the Jews say, yeah, he died and he stayed dead. And then the Christians, of course, said, and Jesus made a falsifiable claim in terms of, you know, if they destroy this temple, meaning his body, that he will raise it up again in three days. And so then the question is, did he? And of course, David, your favorite thing, shroud in terms of the resurrection, um, is potent evidence of the resurrection, the whole thing. But um, I won't go, I won't digress on that much to your uh, joy. Well, real, actually, real quick, real quick. Look. <coughs> I, would ju- I just wanted to ask Robert: Do you do you believe the shroud is uh, good evidence for Jesus? Yes or no? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, that's, <laughs> so that's like a no. Uh, go ahead. No, Brian. that isn't a no. That <laughs> it's, he's, it's, he it's, he just doesn't have enough information. Functionally, it's a no. Uh, no, it isn't. I think it could be. Uh, I'll I'll say I haven't studied it enough. Okay. <laughs> it it also it also demonstrates how irrelevant the shroud is to becoming a Christian, yeah. right? It's completely we, unnecessary. So I look. We haven't we haven't had Robert on the show. Robert is not familiar with the boards and some of our uh, ins, inside battles. Here. I just wanted to get a clean answer of uh, you know is is this a shroud Christian or is this a non shroud Christian? I love the shroud. I think it's very interesting, but I it's not a key part of my faith. And it doesn't have to be, but for the person that just can't wrap their head around God unless there's science behind it, the shroud does it. Okay, Brian, you were you were cutting in there, and I, I really, yeah, no, I I, I, I was going to ask Robert what he felt about the shroud, but and I don't want to <laughs> let's not go down let's not go down this side street because as I understand it, there's going to be a conversation downstream, I think, at some point. Between Teddy and Darren, is that right? Yes, yes. Right. Yes. So I want I want to say very short I want version. I, I I saw a very quick documentary on the shroud, and it seems like it's a very remarkable piece, uh, artifact. Um, but I know that carbon dating of the patch throws people off. That that's mostly what I know. Only because they don't know enough about carbon dating. When you learn about how carbon dating can be extremely inaccurate if there is contamination and that it's not uncommon. So I think that Brian was about to close us out. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I heard some static on the line. Brian closes out. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So I, you know, I think, I think this has been a a, a really interesting conversation. Uh, I think it was great to have four people on this conversation. Uh, Robert, it was fantastic to to meet you uh, and to, and to get your perspective. I thought it added a lot to the discussion. Um, Pascal's wager, you know, I, I, as we've seen through this conversation, I just, I find it completely not compelling. Uh, I find it insincere. I find it bad in epistemology. I don't see a path forward for the skeptic for using something like Pascal's wager. And, and we have Christians on the show here telling us that evidence is important. And if that's true, then let's go there. Let's go with evidence. Let's go with arguments. Let's not go, uh, with forcocked wagers about metaphysical, metaphysical things that we don't have access to the probabilities for. Um, and as a Christian, 
uh, if a Christian thinks that God would be happy if you used Pascal's wager as a conversion tool, that says a lot about this deity and what he wants and whether he wants people faking it till they make it. If he wants people believing things for bad reasons or without evidence, I just find that this reveals the character of the God that they're advocating for. And from what I've been told about God and other sources, it doesn't line up. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, I, I think that Pascal's wager is a non-starter uh, for those two dimensions, um, and I think it's pretty clear. Um, Teddy, if you had some final thoughts, I'd be happy to hear uh, your perspective on the conversation. Yes. Um, so God puts the carrot and the stick in front of us from the get-go. There's heaven and there's hell, and he gives us the free will to decide which way we want to go. And uh, the beautiful thing about it is that we do not have to be perfect. We are very flawed individuals. God knows this. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to, to save us from our sinful nature. And, uh, and so all we have to do is accept God's gift for salvation and how we behave on this earth, because I do believe that this earth is a proving ground, that determines the degree of reward that we get in heaven. But, um, you know, for the people that just can't uh, have a hard time wrapping their heads around God, you know, there is a lot of evidence, and we didn't even get to this. So hopefully with the director's cut, we'll get into the evidence like Josephus, Tacitus, Pliny the Elder, Suetonius, you know, all these uh, other, Pliny the Younger, (laughs) you know, all of that, these extra biblical pieces of evidence that um, get into what the early Christians were doing, how the movement started, um, all of that. And then you throw in the shroud for scientific evidence, which is, I mean, the shroud is a miracle. So that also is a fantastic piece of evidence for God. But, you know, for the people that just, you know, like David uh, and and Brian, do like Mother Teresa did when, because she had her periods of darkness for quite a long time where she lost her faith. Yet, what did she do? She did what Pascal was talking about. She still... uh, soldiered on in the faith, uh, behaving as if she still believed. And, you know, she's a saint now. And that's actually not uncommon. I've read something somewhere a while back that, uh, that, that sometimes one of the tests for sainthood, that sometimes they will lose their faith, but then regain it. So, um, you know, but she still, uh, was meek enough as we all should be in the presence of a God to where we submit to his authority. And, um, and and I think it's that active submission, whether or not in your head you can truly believe if you submit and, you know, and fake it till you hopefully make it. But I, I think that God, if he sees that someone is struggling, but that they're still doing everything the way he wants them to do in terms of doing their best and 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 saying, you know, like, hey, God, I, uh, I while I still kind of have 
a whole bunch of doubts. I'm plagued by doubts, but I want to believe. And so I'm going to do the things that I know that you would want me to do. I, I think that, you know, uh, it's not a hundred percent, but I mean, I, I think that God would look kindly upon that. And, and especially if you ask, you know, that Jesus be your savior, even if you really have doubts that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah. I think that counts with God. And if it doesn't, at least your odds are better that way than, uh, you know, going against him and, uh, you know, and not trying to be part of the fold. Okay, so as thank you, a, thank you, Teddy. As a as a kind of a last word for me, and I've I'm not going to make much of a last word because I've taken um, a half page of notes for for the director's cut, so I will save some of it. Uh, but I would say as a last word, do everything I tell you to do, or Grethor awaits. Uh, Robert, do you have a voice of reason uh, to put in here to close this out? <laughs> um, just very briefly, um, to sum things up, I do think a strengthened Pascal's wager, so a Teddy's wager or something like that, uh, with some sort of apologetic that narrows it down to instead of a false dichotomy, a true dichotomy, I think that can make sense. Um, so, yeah, just briefly. Um, but l- I would like to actually end if I could, asking a question to David and Brian, which is, let's say what the option on the table is, is is a truly good God. So whatever you think about the Christian God, think of a truly, whatever you would imagine being a truly good God, uh, absolutely pure and joy and love and all those things. And let's say... Um, hell is not eternal torment. Let's say I'm an annihilationist. We didn't really get into that, but let's say that's what, it's not going to be pleasant what happens, but you're not going to be tortured forever. And the option is a truly good God. What percentage would it take before some sort of wager does make sense? Like 40%, okay, if I'm going to be a part, if, if it's 40% odds that this truly good God exists and I can be a part of this loving project and add that additional meaning to my life and um, anticipation, um, what percentage would you say makes uh, a wager at least reasonable, not that uh, it forces you? Right. So, so my response would be, like I said, I, I don't think I should have to wager. If there's a being that wants me to follow him and is good and I would enjoy and be on board with following him, he doesn't have to make me wager. He can show up and he can present me with the case. In so the same kind way- of on principle, you would not take that wager. You'd be like, this isn't good enough. Right. Again, depends, okay. what I'm, depends what I'm wagering. What am I giving up and what am I getting in return? And what are what are the odds that actually generate that? But I'd still I'd still be queasy about the fact that this deity won't show up and he's making me roll the dice. You know, my wife doesn't sure. make me roll the dice every day when we're making decisions together. Political candidates, my government, my friends, my community. These aren't dice rolls. I know what I'm dealing with when I'm doing it. But, Why can't I get the same thing from a deity? But Brian, that's like the cat. Uh, excuse me. That's like the mouse telling the cat that's getting ready to, to do whatever. Teddy, we, Teddy, Teddy, we've had enough of your might. Yeah. 
makes right morality, all right? I think we're trying to close the show here. But yeah, but, yeah. but, but you're right, Robert. The, 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 the specifics about the God do make, do make a difference, right? And I might be more inclined to step out on a ledge. The gooder, that's a terrible, terrible saying there. The better the God, the more moral the God, the, the more there's its, the, the more that, uh, that is good about picking his way. I certainly would be inclined to want to start heading down that path. But you, you got to give me evidence that makes it reasonable for me to start going there. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to answer this by uh, echoing Brian, uh, and I'm also going to uh, channel uh, Mr. Rogers. Uh, sometimes uh, we call him Darren, uh, <laughs> but we know who he is. Um, and 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 just just kind of say I I don't see any reason to take the wager no matter what what you do with the variables if i don't believe in the variables and so you are you are asking me to think presuppositionally you're saying well okay you wouldn't take the wager if it was that god and that hell all right what if it's a different god and a different hell and i don't believe in any gods or heavens or hells and so the, it doesn't matter what the odds are for the wager when I believe that your prize and punishment is near zero. So it's, I don't care. You, I mean, you, you should ask me, um, you know, what, are the, what if we made it the Hindu god, you know, uh, one of the Hindu gods, and, you know, maybe one of the, you know, you get reincarnated into an earthworm, if you, I don't believe those are possibilities. I, I don't believe in Grethor. Uh, but there's no I evidence. I, for I don't Grethor. believe in. I don't believe in Shangri La. I don't. The, none of these presuppositions make any sense to me. But and there so is evidence. I, there, I, once for again, don't care about the bet. Don't care about the odds, because you haven't given me anything that I believe in to bet on in the first place but you know what the bet is not a choice in terms of whether you take the bet we all have to take the bet and if you don't your choice by default is that you are betting against god because we are all going to die one day all right but if, if, the, so, but if the question is what would it take for me to care about the bet you're just asking me to ramp up my imagination uh to to some place uh, you know, where I can create a fantasy God, a fantasy heaven, a fantasy hell. And that, you know, at, the, at what point, all that is is a Rorschach test uh, to, to see my state of mind and what, what imp output I can make. I don't believe in those things. They are not true things to me. And so I don't know why I'm betting in the first place. Well, you know, I'd like to see you attack the evidence. Different podcast. I'm, and, you know, I'm, I'm just answering the question as it was given to me, I'll, and I'll hand it back to Brian to finish us off. Yeah, so so that uh, I, I think a good way to cap off what you just said, David, I think it makes sense, right, is I'm not going to buy a house without walking through the house. I don't care how great the house is. I don't care where the location is. I don't care how many people testify to how amazing the house is. I'm not buying the house unless you let me walk through the house and examine the house. If I don't have heaven or hell to examine, then I, I, I can't wager on picking one or the other. It just, it's nonsensical to me. So um, 
thank you guys very much for being on the show. Teddy, really appreciate you coming on the show. It's good to hear your voice, and I'm glad everything's going well for you. Thank uh, in you. In the real thank world. You. And Robert, really, really great to meet you. Um, I really enjoyed having you on the show, and I'm looking forward to interacting with you in the future. I hope to see you on the boards. Um, David, do we have any um, announcements or anything you want to make for next week, or should we just close this out? Yeah, well, it's uh, going to be Robert and I. If uh, <laughs> if you enjoyed the taste of uh, what you got here, we're going to uh, deep dive into some of his weird epistemology. Um, <laughs> And uh, he is going to challenge uh, some of my basic uh, assumptions. I believe that there are many single-issue uh, problems, uh, challenges with theology that a skeptic can rightfully look at and discount the whole thing. I think there are single passages that a person can look at and say, yeah, because that's there, I discount the whole thing. I know that most Christians do not agree with this. Robert certainly does not agree with it. He believes that we should take a uh, holistic, heuristic uh, approach. Uh, he will make his case. I will make mine. Uh, there will be lightning, possibly. And fire. thanks, guys, for letting me join uh, this one. It was uh, a lot of fun. Good to meet hey. you and talk with you. Yeah, Robert, you want, Robert, you want to quickly plug your, your site and stuff again just so they got it? Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, robertlwhite.net. And I have a podcast, a YouTube channel. Um, I focus a lot on epistemology. Excellent. Thanks again. And thank you all out there in the listening audience. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you'll join us on the message boards to discuss this. There's a lot of conversation still to be had at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. Bye.